invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. That's where we'll be uh, for the rest of our time together this morning. Have you guys ever seen those videos online of people who are hearing for the very first time? Most of us out there, uh, you and I, like we, we take hearing or seeing for, for granted because that's all we've ever known. But if you go and watch these videos, it's so fascinating and, and, and joy-producing to watch these people's reactions to hearing for the first time. This past week, I, I got sucked into watching all kinds of videos uh, of people hearing for the first time. And I think my favorite ones are those of the little children, the, the little boys and girls, the toddlers, the infants that get to hear their mom or their dad's voice for the first time. Now, initially, uh, the look on their face is like one of shock. They're like confused, like, what? what is that noise? And then quickly, it just turns to excitement and joy. And then you look in the corner of the room, and like, mom and dad are just weeping because <laughs> their, their son or daughter can hear for the first time. And then if you look, you can look at other videos of, of teens and adults, and many of their responses um, are first tears just flowing down their face that they get they get to hear either again or for the very first time. But for all of them, they're filled with gratitude and they're filled with thankfulness. Now, as we read the scriptures, we find similar responses to people who encounter God for the very first time. Now, in Psalm 19, this isn't David's first encounter with God, but this is a similar and consistent response that followers of God have when they fully realize who God is. They worship. And Psalm 19 is very straightforward and simple. In response to who God is and what he has done in David's life, he worships God. David finds deep joy and satisfaction in God, and it affects all of him for the rest of his days. So let's begin by reading Psalm 19, uh, the first six verses, and they'll be on your screens again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, in which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So David here is writing, he's singing about the magnificence of God, the power of God that he sees in creation, that God has revealed to him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. They are shouting to us what God has created. And what are they telling us? The heavens, the sky, the sun as it rises and it sets. They are teaching us about the existence and the character of of God, the power of God that has been displayed in creation. Now the sky and the heavens have a voice, but so does David. He can't help but speak of the glory of God that's been revealed to him in creation. Now recently I had a similar experience to what, what David is doing here. A few weeks ago, my family and I went to Northwest Arkansas to see other family, and, and while we were there, a couple of the mornings, uh, Henry would get up with me, and we went out on these trails that, that are really beautiful trails and they're paved and, and he would uh, ride his bike alongside me as I would, I would run and just inadvertently 
like as we are going along this path, you know, we're, we're seeing the sunrise with uh, several different colors just filling up the sky. We're seeing these rolling hills and the, the beauty of the trees. And, you know, there were even large sections where we saw these massive spider webs. Now, I, I hate spiders. I, I want them all to die. I think they all belong in a terrible place. But as we're running along these large sections of um, just tree lines, the, these spiders have made these massive webs. And it's so beautiful to see the complexity uh, of these webs and that these, they're, they're created by these little tiny insects. And then at one point, we got within about 15 feet from four deer. You know, we're, we're, I'm running and Henry's on his bike and we're just moving right along and these deer come out in our path and just stop and stare at us. I can't help but think like, man, this is so cool that, that Henry gets to, to witness this. Now, as we were going, we just began having conversations about, man, isn't God good? Like, isn't, isn't it amazing that God, the great artist, would create all of these things and show us his, his, his majesty and his power and his creativity in all of these things? The spider created this beautiful and complex web, and yet God created the spider. In amazement of all these things, we couldn't help but worship God for the beauty that he's revealed to us in his creation. Now, Paul says something similar in Romans 1 that we read in, verse, in Psalm 19. Now, this is Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been, have been made. So they are without excuse. So what I'm explaining here and describing to you is called general revelation. General revelation encompasses the things about God that all people anywhere can know. So whether you are an atheist in Canada or a Christian in Russia, or a Buddhist in China. It does not matter. General revelation is avail available to all people all over the world. You can know that God exists by what is displayed for us in his creation. Now, there is another side to this coin. We as Christians know specifically who created the heavens and the earth. We know who hung the stars and formed mountain ranges. And we rightly worship God because of it. But there are critical things about God that we cannot know from just observing creation. Special revelation refers to God's communication with specific people. For instance, throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. The things about God that tell us more about Him that we could not understand by merely observing creation or walking out and observing nature. Now, perhaps the most important piece of special revelation that we can't know with just general revelation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. If there was not special revelation, God communicating himself to us or coming down and speaking to us, we could not know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Heartbreakingly, this is a reality for different peoples and tribes and nations all over the world right now that do not know, have not heard 
of the name of Jesus. Paul describes this in Romans 10. He builds this out for us, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Peter agrees in Acts 4.12, and there is no, there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So creation tells us much about the character and nature of God, and we should worship God as a result of what we see in creation. And while this is true, we have to acknowledge and be aware that salvation in Jesus Christ does not happen apart from special revelation. Now, do you realize what that means for you and for me as followers of Jesus? We have a responsibility as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to communicate this good news to fellow citizens here on earth. There is salvation in no one else, for faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We must live intentionally and purposefully on mission. I don't know who first coined this phrase, but I've heard that it's said of followers of Jesus, you are either a sender or a goer, but neither of us, nobody is exempt. You have to either be a sender or a goer to participate in the mission of God. Now, there may be something keeping you right now from going to the ends of the earth. Perhaps family responsibilities or, or a personal uh, health condition that might keep you from going. But you can be a part of the mission of God through both prayer and through giving. So do those things. Through our own church and network, we support overseas missionaries and church plants that are doing this work right now. Give and pray towards these ends. Now, others of you might have the ability to go, but not the means to go. We can work together to accomplish the mission of God to the ends of the earth. And while going overseas might get you some good publicity as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we kind of look at people who go overseas and, and participate in the mission of God in other countries as, as, as more holy or as more righteous which is not necessarily reality. But the truth is, we have to participate in the mission of God right here where we are as well. There are likely people just down your street, in your offices, in your classes, sitting across from you at the dinner table at family gatherings, that do not know that there is salvation in no one other than the name of Jesus. We get to tell them about Jesus. Now, this is challenging right now, isn't it? Most likely, it's more challenging than normal. So I'd encourage you in this way. Given the stark polarization in our culture right now, it just seems like everybody's either hardcore on one side of an issue or hardcore on the other side of an issue. It seems like people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to compromise. They don't want to try to understand one another. So given this reality... I'd strongly urge you to consider 
how your actions, how your voiced opinions, how your allegiances will impact your witness six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, and ultimately for all eternity. Are you saying, thinking, and doing things right now that will ultimately harm your witness and the name of Jesus to your unbelieving neighbors and friends and coworkers when you are able to interact with them again on a more regular basis? Does your allegiance to a political party or even your own personal liberties make the name of Jesus sound bitter to your neighbors? What are you doing now that is planting a seed for the gospel that God will one day water and give growth to? We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, yes. But it begins right here where we are, to those who are around the block from us or across the table from us at family gatherings. They are without excuse based off of what they've seen in creation. But they need to hear and know more in order to receive salvation in Jesus. So share the good news with them. Specifically, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of sinners. That God loves them. He has redeemed and restored us into right relationship with God. Offer this good news and this message to your unbelieving friends and coworkers and neighbors. May we worship God from what we see in creation and live faithfully on mission. Now let's keep reading in Psalm 19, again, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, when David wrote this, he didn't have the full Bible that you and I have today. He didn't even have the full Old Testament. What you're seeing, what we're reading here, David is writing about the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, let's hear what he says about those first five books. God's law is perfect and it revives the soul. His testimony is sure and it makes the simple wise. It gives us wisdom. His precepts are right and it makes the heart rejoice. His commandment is pure. It enlightens the eyes. It helps us to see. More desired are the commands and law of God than gold. They're sweeter than honey. This does not sound like someone who merely tolerates the word of God. He is delighting in it. He's relishing in the word of God. In the first five books of the Old Testament, he finds real and deep joy in studying the word of God. Now consider this. Consider this. You and I have a more full picture of the word of God, don't we? We have the rest of the Old Testament and the entire New Testament, and specifically who Jesus is. We now know that. Who Jesus is, why he had to come and die on our behalf. We have a deeper understanding, a more full picture of the depth and breadth of God's love for us. David was looking forward to a promise that was coming. 
we get to look back and see something that's already realized. Now, I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're watching or you're listening to this, you likely agree that the Word of God does these things also for you. And maybe not all of the time, there are difficult seasons that we walk through, but consistent, regular time in the Word of God, it makes you wise. It gives you joy. It revives your soul. You know that, and you believe that. I believe that you believe that. I wonder, though, especially in our current cultural moment, if we are intaking enough Scripture that we need right now. Now, let me explain. Most of you are probably familiar with the food pyramid. Now, I remember growing up, and these pyramids were plastered all over our cafeteria walls, and we were taught about them growing up. The premise of these pyramids is that towards the bottom of the pyramid, your diet needs to, to you need to have more servings of the things on the bottom half of the pyramid. So I believe at the bottom it's like breads and pastas, which some of you may disagree with now. But then as you move up, you get vegetables, and you get fruits, and then you get meats, and I think dairies. And then at the very top of the pyramid, you have those things that taste the best, right? Let's be honest. So sugars, uh, ice cream, uh, fatty foods, processed foods, things like that. Now, again, the premise is that if the majority of your diet consists of the things on the bottom portion of the pyramid, you can sparingly partake in those things at the very top of the pyramid, and it's largely going to unaffect you. Now, it's easy to not apply this same principle to wisdom and the knowledge that we intake. Brett McCracken, who's a pastor and an author, has created a wisdom pyramid. Now, if you're watching online, uh, you're going to see this pop up on your screens. If you're not, you can just Google Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken, and it's going to pop up. Now, I wholeheartedly uh, endorse, I, I love what he's created here. So as you can see, he has the Bible at the bottom of the pyramid. It is the primary source of wisdom that we should be drawing from as believers every day. From there, he moves to the local church tradition, so the community where a Christian commits to invest their life and grow up in. This is where you would gather with others to worship God, to serve each other as the body of Christ, and to speak into one another's lives. From there, he moves up to, to nature and beauty, enjoying the creation of God, art, and awareness of beauty. And then after that, he's got books, and he places a special emphasis on older and more timeless books that have provided wisdom over decades or centuries. Then at the very top of that pyramid, you'll find the internet and social media. Now, if your diet consists primarily of the things from the bottom portion of the pyramid, consuming these things at the top of the pyramid sparingly is okay. Now, let's go back to the food pyramid. We've all had days and weekends or maybe longer period of time where we have consumed everything on the top portion of the pyramid. It's, it's been inverted, right? So I'm talking like cheeseburgers and french fries and bags of chips and cookies and ice cream. We've all had those weekends, right? So how do you feel after a weekend of just binging only those things? Just hoarding all the sugars and sweets and greasy foods? Like your body's probably pretty mad at you, right? And as the older, the older we get, the more likely you are to pay for the sins of a junk food filled weekend. Now, if you are feeling anemic spiritually and emotionally, 
consider the wisdom pyramid? Is it because that you have flipped, you've inverted this wisdom pyramid for your daily intake of knowledge and wisdom? Consider how polluting it is to our minds when we spend hours and hours on social media and the internet, not just for a weekend, but, but most of the spare moments throughout our day that we're reaching for these things to fill us. Are you constantly watching the news to, and seeking to stay updated on everything that is happening around us? What short and long-term effects might these practices have on your mind and your emotional health? Now let's go back to what David has said about the Word of God, that it revives. It makes us wise. It enlightens our eyes to help us see. It tastes sweet to our souls. It warns us and it rewards us when we follow his word. So let me ask a few more questions. Are you beat down? Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you frustrated? Are you struggling? Are you completely worn out with talk of COVID-19? Are you tired of the debate on masks? Some people are arguing that we should have been wearing them months ago and others are arguing that you can't tell me what to do. Are you just tired of these things? Brothers and sisters, would you be revived by the word of God today? Maybe you need to turn off the TV and internet access to your phones today. And maybe you need to do it for a longer period of time. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that we went to Arkansas. When we went, I left my phone back home, and it was awesome. Like, I didn't have to worry about buzzing, people trying to connect with me, getting thrown back into thinking about work. It was so great to just take a break from my device. And yet, I found myself constantly reaching for it, right? Like, when I didn't have it, it's like, where? I'm like checking tables, and like, I felt like I was naked. And so I'm in this boat, too. Like, what are the long-term effects of us having this Device addiction. We must consider these things. Andy Crouch is an author who wrote The Tech Wise Family. And in this book, he urges us to take greater discernment in the amount we use our devices and, and basically encourages us to have better, more healthy relationships with our devices. And he gives all sorts of good and helpful, practical advice for us to maintain better relationships with our devices. But I'm just going to mention two of them. So number one, devices go to bed before us and they get up after us. Don't take your phone to bed with you. I, I have an alarm clock. Like I went out a few years back and I just bought just a digital alarm clock and it just tells time and has an alarm. That's it. That's it. So I shouldn't be tempted to bring my phone to bed with me because if I need to get up, I've got an alarm clock there. I don't need to rely on my phone to be my alarm. Leave your phone in a common space or turn it off so you're not tempted to reach for it as soon as you wake up or to let your mind wander with it aimlessly at night. And number two, Crouch suggests that we take a break from our devices for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year in order to worship and feast and play and rest together. So let me ask. If you just practice these two things, these two things, what would happen to your mood, to your emotional and spiritual health, and your relationships with those closest to you, 
if you simply adhered to these two disciplines? What would your relationships with your young children look like if your phones were not around? What would your relationship with your spouse look like if Netflix was not a thing? Now, please hear me. I'm not advocating to get rid of all of these things entirely. I'm merely suggesting that these things are to be consumed sparingly. And they need to take their right place at the top of that wisdom pyramid. I'd also recommend taking larger portions of your day to ingest scripture. So maybe that's best for you to do in the morning before the rest of your house wakes up. Maybe that's best for you at night just before you go to bed. It's never been easier to consume the Word of God through audio. So as you're exercising or as you're driving, you can, get the, you can get the Bible, the Word of God on your phones. You can listen to sermons, things that edify your soul and your heart. Read the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Pray the Word of God back to Him. Just know that if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're frustrated, it's not because you don't have access to God. Now, we would all admit that 2020 has been a bear, hasn't it? It has been tough on all of us in just so many ways. But God has remained unchanged through all of it. He is not phased by the worldly and cultural winds and waves that toss you and I to and fro. So if we don't feel like meditating on the word of God, it's because you and I have changed for some reason, not because God has. So be revived by the word of God today and every day. Now, if it's work for you, then keep doing it. Keep taking it in. Keep praying for the spirit of God to speak to you and for him to make the word of God taste as sweet as honey to you again. Now, let's finish up by reading the last three verses in Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's almost as if David is saying, O God, I do not trust myself. That left to my own devices, I can think and do and say some terrible things. And we have documented those in the Bible, haven't we? So, this is David crying out to God. He's saying, will you forgive me for those sins I commit when it's even hidden from my own heart? Will you keep me from the high-handed sins? Keep me from acting out in arrogance and boastfulness in myself and let that way of thinking not rule over me. It's one thing to be forgiven of sins you're unaware that you're committing, but it's something entirely different to know something is offensive to God and say, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna go what I'm going to do, I'm going to say this thing anyways. David is praying to God saying, I am capable of all of these things. He knows of his depravity and his wickedness. And he's saying, I'm capable of sinning in all the ways. And yet he's saying, please, would you let sin not have dominion over me? Don't let it rule my heart. David is praying for both the humility to recognize his wicked heart and deliverance over the evil that so easily entangles him. Let this be our prayer today as well. Think for a moment where your heart and where your mind go in moments of weakness or vulnerability. Where do you go when you're at your worst? We can think and do some pretty 
terrible things too, can't we? Observing the beauty of God in creation, living on mission, enjoying God's word, these things are impossible when we are entrenched in personal sin and personal rebellion. Just like David, we have a propensity towards sin that in a moment can feel enticing and seductive and joy-producing, but in the end, it leads to death. Let's recognize that about ourselves. Let's be honest with both God and ourselves and ask for humility and also deliverance from the sins that are hidden from our own hearts and the sins that we commit out of arrogance and superiority. Hey, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, again, I'm so glad that you've joined us and that you've stayed this far along in this video or, or listening. I invite you to lay down your life and to follow Jesus. He is good. He loves you. And he is worthy of your worship. If you have questions, again, if you need help processing all of this, what that might look like or, or who Jesus is or what he's done to us and why it matters, why we should even be concerned about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we would love to talk to you. Please reach out. Please call us or email us. All of our info is online. You can find it there. We would love to have a conversation with you. And brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we have reason to worship him today, don't we? He's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So because of his great love for us, let us worship God by enjoying his creation, living on mission, delighting in his word, and humbly submitting all of ourselves to him today. Let us be sent out, let us be dispersed, even from our own homes this week, with a reading from Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, again, we love you and we miss you. Would you be careful and be safe out there? And remember that even now, just as we read, wherever you are, as fellow citizens of the household of God, that you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.